The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Now turn our attention to the psalm that the choir just sang, Psalm 34. I invite you to take your Bible and turn there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Here's why. The message that people are hearing that are close to Christianity, or some have no idea what the message is, but close to, particularly around here, it goes like a conversation I had just a month or two ago. There's just so many rules. Here's what people are hearing, and sadly, here's what we're communicating. You gotta do all these things, get yourself cleaned up, then God'll God'll accept you after you get it all straight. Well, that's not the gospel. The message of the Bible is not get yourself straightened up and then God'll accept you. The message of the Bible is taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an entirely different way of approaching. So I pray that your paradigm starts to shift right off the bat today as we take up Psalm 34. I invite you to stand as Joseph comes and reads the word of God. Psalms 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut them off, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope of redemption, the hope of salvation, that none who take refuge in you will be condemned. So now, Lord, I ask, that as I preach, I will taste and see that the Lord is good. And as my friends who have gathered here, my brothers and sisters, 
May we in the receiving of your word taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless the preaching of the word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So for the last month or two months or so, I've been hearing about a restaurant. This is recently opened in town. I'm not going to name it because several new ones have. People get saying, it's great. It's good. It's awesome. You need to go eat there. You got to go eat there. You got to go eat there. So Friday night, Celeste and I decided we'd give it a shot. So we ordered to go, or actually I had to go down there to do it, ordered to go. And when I came out with my order, literally there were 10 people from Parkwood outside. Do you like it? Did you like it? I don't know yet. <laughs> I did like it, by the way. Why did I end up there? Because everybody kept saying, it's good, it's good. You got to go give it a try. You got to give it a shot. Obviously, there's some application here. David's saying, taste with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, here's the main idea. Here's what we want to see. That this tasting and seeing is to be applied. So having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed magnify the Lord. Now, this this psalm is laid out in a couple of very distinct ways. One of the ways is each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, this is done with several psalms. This was intended for a Hebrew, a Jewish person, to be able to memorize the psalm. You would just remember A, B, C, D, etc. It doesn't work that way in the English language. That's why you can't see it uh, because you can't read Hebrew. But this was an intended uh, memorization for the people of God. It's written with a context tied to it. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, if you study closely 1 Samuel 19 to 22, this is a period where Saul is pursuing David. He's trying to kill him. In the midst of that, the king of Gath, David ends up under the king of Gath. And to get away from him, he pretends he's crazy. I don't know if you remember this story. He drools and doesn't make any sense. And the king of Gath says, we got plenty of crazy people in our kingdom. Get rid of him. We don't need him. Now, why is that kind of context given here with Psalm 34? Because he never, other than the, in the title, never refers to it. Here's what David, I believe, is doing. David is saying, it's not my ingenuity that saved me. It's God who saved me. It, it is the Lord who is good. So you're really answering this question with this psalm. Can the Lord God be depended on in the midst of our difficulty and affliction? So the answer lies in this great truth, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now think with me, don't answer out loud. So when I read verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is the foundation of the verse in tasting and seeing or is the foundation that the Lord is good? The answer is the foundation is that the Lord is good. The word good here means to be desired. Having the qualities required for a particular role. The Lord alone is good. Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. Now, here's how we know this. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the record, the record of the Bible from beginning to end, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations, even beyond what is recorded in the Scripture, to all generations, God's goodness continues. Jesus 
being confronted, responded to the crowd and said in Mark 10, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In the context, Jesus is admitting that he's God in the flesh. But he's, he's making a point here to make sure that they understand that only God alone is good. And what, what does that mean? I just want you to think a few thoughts with me before we proceed. That means God is originally good. God, God did not become good because David said he was good. God did not become good because he started to do good things for humanity. God is good. He is infinitely good. As far as you can go into the past and beyond the beginning of time, and as far as you can go into the future forever, God is good. And not only is he good, he is perfectly good. James says there is no shadow of turning in him interesting that every time something bad happens in the world is the only time that moderns talk about God. And they want to assign the bad things to God. No, God is good and he is perfectly good and he always has been good. The last thought I just want to put before you here is that he is immutably good. That means his goodness does not change. God cannot become more good. He cannot become less good. How do we know that ultimately that God is good? Well, you say, well, the Bible tells me that God is good. Well, ultimately we know God is good because God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. That is, Jesus Christ displays for us clearly the goodness of God. We are told here, in fact, we are commanded here to taste and see, to savor and to perceive, to understand that God is good. This is a command that is active. So it's not just something that is to be true in the past that we have tasted at some point in time that God is good. It is something that is to be experienced. It is something we are to know, to understand, and to experience. So I already want to ask the so what question. Have I tasted that the Lord is good? I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter, and I want you to keep your place. Mark yourself in 1 Peter, because we're going to come back and forth. It's very interesting here that two times directly in chapter 2, verse 3, and in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Peter directly quotes Psalm 34. And if you closely read Psalm 1 Peter, you'll understand that Psalm 34 is influencing how he wrote this letter. So he asked this question in verse 3 of chapter 2. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, so he's saying clearly here, it's possible that you haven't tasted that the Lord is good. So conditional phrase, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Well, how do you know that you have tasted that the Lord is good? Well, let's go back in the verse and let's work out the context. Verse 18 of chapter one. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. It was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who are who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So we clearly see the goodness of God in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, who though he was without sin, became sin on our behalf to redeem us from our sin. This was God's plan, God's good plan before the foundation of the world and was made clear to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we look to what Christ has done and we repent of our sin and we trust in the finished work of Christ, then verse 23 transpires. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So let me draw the connection. To taste and see that the Lord is good is to be born again. It's to be transformed by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And the moment that you are born again, you take refuge in him. Now, before we look at this next point, having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed take refuge I, 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 want, I want to make sure that we, that we understand a principle here. It's active imperative, taste and see. So it's not just have I tasted that the Lord is good. You really must be asking yourself this question if you claim to be a follower of Christ in this room. Am I tasting that the Lord is good? Is this my normal experience of life? Now, how is it that we, that we continue to taste? Really, this whole sermon is a so what application sermon. So the first way we see this is having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed take refuge in the Lord. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Refuge means a safe or secure place. Now, taste and see is a command, an active command. Take refuge is a different verb. It's active and perfect. What does that mean? That means this is an ongoing, incomplete action. That throughout the rest of my life, I am refuging in the Lord. How do you come to take refuge in the Lord and know that he is good? Verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now these two words in the Hebrew are, are word pictures. Some of you in this room can identify right now. We all can identify at some point. The word brokenhearted means shattered. The Lord is near the shattered. He is, he is near those who are destroyed or crushed in their spirit, those who have been ruined to the point of humiliation. That's whom God moves to. He's, he's near them. Then in verse 19, it says, many of the afflictions of the righteous. Here's what's interesting. The word righteous here is singular. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So is David talking about himself? I'd say, yes, he is. He's talking about himself, but something else is going on here. Something else is happening and transpiring in this text. And the reason that I know something else is going on here is because of verse 20. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. And when Jesus died on the cross, John 
writes a detail for you and for me, for us, that he wants to make sure we understand. He says in John 19, 36, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So what's John saying? John's saying that what what David wrote in Psalm 34 is prophetic. That it is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. So let's go backwards and think it through. Jesus was shattered for us. He was crushed. That's how Isaiah 53 describes it. He is the righteous one. And he bore in himself what he did not deserve and took what we deserved upon the cross to deliver us. Verse 21 of Psalm 34, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems or ransoms the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Not now, not ever. Turn to Romans chapter eight. And let's hear the word of the Lord as, as, as Paul is describing to these suffering Christians in Rome. We're trying to make sense of what, why are we suffering? Why are we experiencing difficulty as Christians? He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now think about this. He who takes refuge never, be, never will not be condemned. On the day of judgment, here's the question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So having tasted that the Lord is good, we take refuge in him. And having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed fear the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. Again, this is a command, fear the Lord. It's an active imperative. We're to continue to fear the Lord. This is very similar to Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What, what does it mean exactly then to fear the Lord? And why is this important? Now let's go back to 1 Peter. Would you turn back over there with me? And watch how Peter works this out. There's some of you in this room that make all your decisions based off the fear of man. It, not be, it may not be the fear that somebody's going to kill you or hurt you. It's the fear that somebody might get upset or dislike you or disown you. 
fear drives a lot of people when it comes to humanity. Peter writes this way, verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So don't fear man who are threatening you because you're Christians. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So what's he saying? Don't fear man. Fear God. Jesus said it this way. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the fear of man is to be afraid of man. The fear of God is to have a healthy respect, a reverence, and an awe for God. This is good for you. So modern parenting is down this path. Here's what modern parents are scared to death of, that your kid might not like you. Listen. One day they'll be 15. Now God designed this. This is a good thing. God designed that somewhere between the ages of 15 and 21, you're going to go, I want to get out of here. This is a good thing. That one day they get out. Now the problem is at 15, they couldn't think their way out of a wet paper bag. No offense to 15 year olds. (laughs) If parents called some of your bluff and just said, okay, go. You'll be back tomorrow. Anyway, if along the way you don't raise a child with some reverence, I've said this more times in counseling than I can count. If you don't raise your child with some reverence towards you, when they turn 15 or 16, they're going to rule your home. Now, here's the difference between man and God. We all get older, and eventually we take the place of the person we respect. Eventually we become the father and the grandfather. Track with me here. We never take God's place. We always remain his child, and he is the father. And he is to be revered and to be respected. Now this weighs into the next part. That having tasted the Lord is good, the redeemed obey the Lord. Come, old children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is what it looks like in your life. He, he, he leads with a question before he explains what it looks like. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? The answer is everybody. Everybody desires a good life. Okay, if you do, then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So he tells you what not to do and he tells you what to do. So to obey God, to know what not to do and to know what to do, you gotta know what God has said. Now I'm back in 1 Peter chapter two. Let me just read to you. This is verse one that led up to the question in verse three. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from Speaking deceit sounds exactly parallel. But instead of saying, do good, seek peace, and pursue it, Peter says it this way. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In other words, God's told you what to do. Long for what he's told you what to do. 
Learn from his word what he has instructed of you. And then when you walk in that, you're going to taste that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted that the Lord is good and found refuge in him, you're going to long to do what God desires for you. John MacArthur, I'll never forget him saying this. Sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin. There's one of two reasons why you don't desire the Bible. Number one, you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to desire the word of God. Number two, if you don't desire the Bible and you are a Christian, it's because of sin in your life. And until you repent of that sin and obey the Lord, the Bible is going to continue to be a barrier to you. When you come to it, the first thing you feel is conviction. That's a good thing. Repent of your sin and obey the Lord. Now, Let's go back and make sure we got our context here. I laid this down a few minutes ago. Psalm 34, 1 Peter, there are other places, Romans 8, are dealing with this truth that Christians, that God's people experience hardship. And it's trying to answer some of these questions. Why do these things happen? How do they happen? What do you do when they're happening? So having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed cry to the Lord. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. The angels of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So you got the poor man and those who fear him, they parallel each other. They stand in opposition to the self-righteous and the self-confident. The self-righteous and the self-confident are not concerned about the power and the presence of the Lord. Instead, they seek to take care of themselves. So when you cry to the Lord, when you cry out to him in the midst of difficulty, you are being consciously aware that he promised he will never leave you nor forsake you, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and that he delivers them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Now, this is just pastoral counseling one-on-one again. So people, people come in, they're struggling. And, and my heart goes out. My heart goes out. There's, there's a lot of struggle going on in our congregation right now. My heart goes out to you. And I, I don't, I'm not flipping about that. Some people are angry. Some people are despondent about it. So here's where I'm going. This is, this is how you do it. By the way, anybody can do this. So what's the core of your issue? Why, why, why are you struggling? Are you believing God here? Are you believing what God has said about your situation? Are you knowingly disobeying God? In other words, are you sinning? Third question. Are you crying out to God? Now, here's what amazes me. You ready? The people say to me, well, I hadn't read the Bible in over a year. Yeah, I know I'm wrong there, but... No, I don't really pray. What do you think? Do you think I have a magic wand in my desk that I can wave it over the top of your trouble and make it go away? God has addressed it, brothers and sisters. And here's what some of you need to do today. You need to cry to God. Because he promises here, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears The writer of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 4, verse 14. 
Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in the time of need. So here's how it goes. Well, pastor, God's not gonna listen to me. You have no idea who I am. No, I don't, but he does. He knows exactly who you are and Christ understands you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. And he is a gracious God who has redeemed and saved you. And here's what he wants you to do is to quit standing out here going, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And to embrace you're not worthy. And that Christ has redeemed you and to come into his presence and to cry for him in your moment of need. And he will help you. Next. Having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed seek the Lord. Now, what's the difference between crying to the Lord and seeking the Lord? You cry to the Lord in the midst of, in the midst of a difficult moment and some kind of hardship and difficulty. You continually seek the Lord. This is not just something you do when it's hard. This is something you continually do. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, most commentators take this verse and they, and they, they treat it this way that even lions suffer hunger. I don't think that's wrong. And what I'm going to say next could be wrong because my commentary for what I'm about to say is the National Geographic Channel. That's dangerous. Now, here's why I'm going there. David did not say even lions suffer want and hunger. David said young lions suffer want and hunger. And I'm watching a show about a lion pride and just give you a couple details here. There are only three male lions in any pride. Only three. There's the big daddy lion and there's two sub submissive male lions and everybody else, everybody else is kicked out. Everybody. So if you're born a male lion into the pride, once you get to a certain age, big daddy's gonna throw you out. And it's usually there's several of you been born at the same time and you're out there on your own. Now they got two choices. Die or take over another pride. This is, this is, this is kind of sad. Most young male lions die. They starve to death. Because a pride eats together. This is a sidebar. Ladies, they do all the hunting in the pride. Now with that in my mind, that young lions who are out here on their own, trying to solve it on their own, trying to, to be the big man. And then I read, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The meaning begins to open up to me. And I think of all the self-confident people and all the people who are trying to accomplish and work and work and work and do and they're doing without. This sounds very similar to what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In that context, it means Everything that we need 
God's going to make sure that his people lack no good thing. Final thing. Having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed magnify the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will pray, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So David's being personal here. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to continually praise the Lord. I'm going to make my boast in the Lord. I'm not going to boast about how in the ingenuity I used to get away from the king of Gath. That's not the point. The point is what God has done. And then he moves to everybody and he says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from my fears. I'm sure that's your experience too. So magnify the Lord with me. Then he says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Now who ought to come into your mind right there is Moses who ascended up in the Mount of God. And, and when he returned, his face was radiant. Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians and says, and we all, chapter three, verse 18, and we all, that is all believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, so I'm back to my so what question now. Have I tasted that the Lord is good? Am I tasting that the Lord is good? You see, when I'm being transformed from one image to from same image from one degree to another. That's because I'm tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So is that your experience? Is that what's happening in your life? Let me walk back through these six things and let me ask questions. I'm gonna ask them of myself and I'm gonna ask you to ask them of yourself. Am I taking refuge in the, in, in the Lord? I was converted. I was born again, I believe, when I was in the eighth grade. But I, I wasn't discipled in, in the church that I was in and fell away from that and began to, to live in a way that was contrary to what I proclaimed to believe and was under tremendous conviction. And on February the 23rd of 1984, in my junior year of high school, my best friend committed suicide and I was shattered, shattered. In the midst of that, I cried out to the Lord and found my refuge in him. I've been hard-headed since, and there have been moments in time to where I've tried to take care of things myself, but I can say this to you as a testimony, that since that time, when I take my refuge in the Lord and I recognize that he is my refuge, here's what happens. I taste and see that the Lord is good. He could have left me to myself. He, he could have left you to yourself. Do I revere the Lord? Do I fear him? I must never forget that God is holy and I'm not. And every time I reflect on who God is and I come before him with reverence and awe, <laughs> here's what falls all over me. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but maybe it will at this moment. 
This holy God didn't have to save me. He had every right to condemn me. He's God. But in his goodness, through Christ the Lord, he saved me. So every time I come before this holy God, I taste and see that the Lord is good, that he invites me to come. Do I obey him? Every time I disobey him and do what I ought not and, or don't do what he has told me to do, conviction and discouragement and despondency begin to build in my life. But I can testify to this. Can you with me? That when I obey him, I taste and see that the Lord is good. Do I cry to him? I, with you, have had some difficult moments in my life, difficult seasons in my life. I don't looking for your sympathy in what I'm going to say next, but one of our dear saints came up to me after the last service and said, I don't see how you pastors continue to do what you do knowing all you know. And I said, it's because we cry to the Lord. In the last service right over here, people gathered around a young father with an infant child who has a blood disorder. And you could hear the sobbing. But in the sobbing, you can taste and see that the Lord is good. Do I seek him? This one's easy. Every time I seek the kingdom of God, I taste and see that the Lord is good. He supplies everything that I need. Do I magnify him? Do, do we magnify him? Every time that we come together, and we magnify the Lord, we taste and see that he is good. But, but that's not the primary motivation of why we magnify him. Now get this. See, for, for some of you, that's all this verse has ever meant. Let's go to a worship service and let's get whipped up into a moment of ecstasy. And in magnifying God, we're going to taste and see. That's not what he means. Here's what David means. It means that a people who've been refuging in and revering and obeying and crying to and seeking and tasting that the Lord is good come together in the congregation of believers and say, I've tasted he's good this week. Now magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. And as we're doing this, here's what we've got to remember. That in our midst are the unbelieving and the crushed. And we must, with radiant faces, sing as unto the Lord and magnify the Lord together and say to them, taste 
Come taste and see that the Lord is good. I ended up at a restaurant because so many of you told me to. I could see it in your eyes. It's good, Jeff. It's good. You people have been intimidated by evangelism. People were doing evangelism for this restaurant. They're just telling about the good news. Radiant people who are tasting that the Lord is good are used by God to call others to taste and to see. Let's pray. Father, I plead now, I plead for those who have tasted and seen, who are tasting and seeing, that together we'll come and magnify the Lord together. Lord, as we sing, call those who are yet unbelieving to believe. Call them to repentance, we pray. May people repent of their sin and turn to Christ. And for the crushed, oh God, hear their cry. Hear their cry. May they find refuge in you. And may we together taste. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.